0: Hi, everyone. My name is Ali Kasam. I've been attending Grace for the last five years. Uh, and I have quite an interesting backstory. Uh, I grew up Muslim and had never attended a church before in my life. And the first time I ever set foot in Grace, I wish I could say that I came in with, you know, a blank slate, but I came in with all of my preconceived notions and misconceptions of Christianity. And so after coming to Grace for a few sermons... I just had so many questions that I had. I remember wondering, you know, is the Bible really the authentic word of God or has it been doctored by people over the years? And how could a man like Jesus actually elevate himself to the status of God? And I was just so confused. And so one day I reached out to pastor John and I said, Pastor John, I have so many questions. Uh, and he was gracious enough to meet with me about 45 minutes before a sermon one Sunday and answered all the questions that I had. Um, and it really began my faith journey. I realized that the way for me to build a foundation of faith was to ask questions and get the answers and learn more. Um, and so after attending a number of sermons and coming to Grace for a few months, I actually joined a men's group. And I remember every session that we had of this men's group, I would leave just so frustrated because I could feel the emotional growth happening. But I was having to wrestle with these tough ideas and concepts and things that were in the Bible. But thankfully, as a result of all of this, I was able to develop a really strong foundation of faith uh, that I've been able to rely on as the years have gone on. Uh, you know, when things have gone tough, when, when things have been tough or when things aren't going my way, I can lean on these foundations of truth that I've learned um, and the answers to these questions to get me through some hard times. Now, why do I bring all this up? Well, one, I want you to know that grace is an incredibly safe space for you to ask questions. No matter where you are in your faith journey right now, trust me, you are not the first first person to have ever asked these questions or have doubts. I can tell you that from personal experience. Secondly, what can you do if you have doubts or questions? One, I highly encourage you to reach out to somebody at on church staff. They'll either be able to answer your questions or guide you to, to someone who can. I'd also encourage you to get involved with the group uh, and all the group experiences that I've had. I've met incredible people, but I've also experienced incredible spiritual growth through them. And finally, third, I encourage you to pick up a Bible and start reading it. Uh, there's no better way to, to answer your questions or understand the God that you're looking to know more about than to read his authentic word firsthand. And so I encourage you to take any of these three steps. Uh, and if you have any questions at all, you can reach out to me personally or you can reach out to anyone on staff and we look forward to meeting you. Recently, I went for an eye exam. I think you're
1: supposed to do that once a year. I do it like every five years. But nonetheless, when you go in there, they put that big contraption, you know, over your face, you sit right up to it. And you're supposed to read those letters and the doctor will say, is one better? Or is two better? And they keep just clicking through. And, you know, you're looking through it. Sometimes it's so subtle. You're like, I think it's one or I think it's two. And then every now and then, so much clearer. But it seems like at least once in that rotation of one or two, there'll be one that just, bam, it just pops out. It's like there's magnifying glasses on my eyeballs. And you can see so clear. Here's what I'm thinking about today. Is there a way to see the letters in the Bible? Is there a way to understand the Bible, a lens that we could look through to the Bible, this most magnificent word, this best-selling book, this most influential book in the history of the world that we would just pop? It'll just, yes, that makes sense. Today, I want to do a message called Start Here, because I'm asked that question quite often. Maybe you are asked that question. The Bible is such a big book. Where do I start? Somebody's asked you, or you've asked yourself, where in the world do I start this great big old book? The Bible. You know, The Bible is not like Monopoly with a clear block that says, start here. Do I start at the very beginning? A lot of times I'll tell people, you want to start in one of the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. John's a great place to start. That's a good name start in John. But Jesus says something at the very end of Luke's biography of Jesus. and Luke 24, Jesus walks up to some of his disciples. This is after the crucifixion. They're bewildered and dismayed. He says, what's going on? They begin to talk. And then Jesus says this. He begins to explain himself. and says, starting with the law, Now, that's interesting because the law is the first five books of the Bible. It starts with Genesis. So, Jesus, to explain who he is, starts with Genesis. Well, that's great because Genesis has an incredible line in that, that basically Genesis 1.26, we get the idea that we're all created equal in the image of God. That is the Magna Carta. It's the summit of humanity. My goodness, it's shaped and changed the world like nothing else. So many of our problems could be solved if we just embrace the truth introduced to us in the Bible, right? Genesis 1. However, there are also some difficult things in the book of Genesis, like talking snakes, And are the days, are they really 24 hours long? And how about that seventh day? It never ends. So there's some great stuff and some difficult stuff. Is there a lens that I can look through to see this most magnificent, influential book in the history of the world and just make it pop in my own life to be fully inspired? Well, start here. This is something that's going to live on our website and on YouTube for a long time, because we're going to start a series next week, but it's going to have to begin here. We're going to have to look through this lens. So I want to read you some really important verses of the Bible that helps us understand where we start. And I'd like you to take notice of this, the importance, the supremacy of wisdom. So here we go. Proverbs chapter three, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. And check this out. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing you desire can compare to wisdom. Verse 16. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. Verse 18. She is a tree of life, a tree of life. From the Garden of Eden, the tree of life, she's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Proverbs chapter four, get wisdom, get understanding. Wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. It's supreme, there's nothing more than wisdom. This is what God's word is moving us towards. The supremacy of wisdom and understanding, nothing can compare with it. And then finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So where do I start, John? So important where we start. And we're going to start in Genesis, not today, but next week. So start preparing. Read those first two chapters of Genesis. I encourage you because we're going to dig into those but more important than where is how do you start? What lens do you read the Bible through so that it pops off the page and all of the inspiration, the Bible says it's inspired by God, all of its powerful inspiration. God breathes into Adam the breath of life, Breathe in an inspiration, same concept. How can it be breathed into me? How can I be filled with the very inspiration of God? Well, I have a... A friend. His name is John Donaldson. John is a great guy. John was a part of grace 20 years ago when we began, but John is still a part of this church because he is in a men's group on Tuesday night. He lives in Singapore, has been teaching political science. He got a PhD in political science from GW and has been teaching in Singapore for at least 10 years now, but he's still a part of a men's group from Singapore every Tuesday. And he is just a super great guy. Matter of fact, I mentioned him recently to a buddy of mine, uh, Jamie Dahl. We were all there the beginning days of grace 20 years ago. And Jamie said, you know what? John is such a fantastic guy. He's the kind of guy you could just punch him right in the face. And he say, hey, man, I love you. I mean, you know, you just don't find people like John Donaldson all the time. But he asked me a question 20 years ago that has been an irritant to me for all of these years, like a holy irritation from God. And it has just pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. And I want to share with you that question now. John says to me, one day, we're sitting in a coffee shop in Roslyn. He says, John, Judas, we're told in Matthew that Judas died a certain way. And then we're told in Acts that he died a very contradictory way. John, how do I make sense of that? I want to read you the passages. This is what Matthew tells us about Judas. When Judas, who betrayed him, speaking of Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So check this out. So Judas threw the money into the temple and he left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. That's Matthew's version. Listen to what Luke says in Acts chapter one. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. I thought he threw the money into the temple. It says he bought a field. There he fell. So like he fell somewhere in the field. He fell headlong. His body burst open. All of his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, a keldema, That is, field of blood. Well, Matthew says he threw the money away, and then he hanged himself. Luke says, no, no, no. He kept the money. He bought a field. He fell down in the field, and he burst wide open. They're contradicting each other. So my buddy John says, John what am I supposed to do? This is the Word of God. There can't be an error in the Word of God. Which one is right? They both can't be right. They're very different. And if this isn't true, if there's a mistake here and it's God's Word, where are all the mistakes? What do I believe is like a house of cards? It's going to come toppling down. John, tell me, why does the Word of God have contradictions in it? What am I supposed to do with this? How can I trust God's Word? Great question. Well, I used to think that the Bible was the perfect word of God. These words like inerrant and infallible. And I used to think it was the perfect word of God. But now, now I believe it is so much more magnificent than that. I had respect for it, but now I'm in awe of God's word. It is amazing. It is relevant. That question that John asked me 20 years ago has operated like a holy irritant, pushing me, pushing me to understand how do I view God's word? And when I see these contradictions, what do they really mean? And as along the way with this, I feel like the inspired word of God has like filled up inside of me and inspired me. You know, recently I was watching a Simon Sinek, he's become famous. TED Talks, best-selling books. Right? He wrote the book uh, "Start with Why." I think that was his first book. But nonetheless, I, I was watching. He was being interviewed on a podcast, and the interviewer says, "Hey, Simon, I want to ask you, Mister Why. I want to ask you, what is your Why?" And Simon said this. He says, "Here's my Why. I want every single person to wake up every day fully inspired to live an inspired life. Well, you know what God's Word says is inspired. Can we possibly?" read and study and just absorb God's inspired word without us living inspired lives, God's desire for you is that we view God's word through the right lens and therefore not quench the inspiration of God, but fully unleash the inspiration of God like a fire hose in our life recently, I'm going to show you some pictures, not today, but in, in future weeks, I think in week number three, I'm going to th- show you a bunch of pictures about this. But I visited my daughter in Montana. She's out working at Glacier National Park. And we stayed at this hotel and it's kind of an old hotel. And I remember going into uh, the bathroom there and just turning on, on the shower. I wanted to see, would the water be hot? Would it be cold? What in this real rustic hotel would it be? And I turned it on into my total shock. I was expecting hot or cold. What I wasn't expecting was no water at all. It was just slowly it was slowly dripping out. You know what? If we don't view God's Word through the proper lens, will the inspiration of God's Word just slowly trickle out into us? But if we view it where it's clear and it's crisp and it's popping through the right lens, will the inspiration of God's Word flood into our life? I have awoken for the past two years of COVID excited and inspired despite all the problems because I was so excited about reading and studying God's word all the time because I began to get something. So here's what I'd like to do. I wish that 20 years ago when John Donaldson asked me that question that somebody would have come alongside him and said, John, I want to show you a couple things that are really important here that you need to understand about
0: God's word.
1: I've been on a journey for 20 years and I'm going to share that with you here, but I want to do for you what I wish somebody had done for me and just share with me some really basic things, things that are broadly understood. Like, yeah, we all believe that it's, it's true. But for some reason, we're not viewing the Bible through what is broadly agreed upon. But when I did, oh my goodness, God's word began to just fill me up and inspire me to a level like never before. Here's the thing. Here's the challenge. Some of us are too convinced. And here's what I mean by that. We look at the contradictions in God's word and we're like, oh, no, 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 they really don't exist. Or we figure out some kind of way, sometimes goofy ways to figure that. out. You can even Google the thing about Judas and you'll see one of those because I did, and one of the top things came up, totally ignored the the whole thing about him throwing the money back into the temple to the priest and the, and the other version saying he took the money and actually bought it. If you totally ignored that and just talked about the two different ways that he died, we'll come up with some goofy ways around that. We'll ignore the contradictions. We're like, they don't matter. And here's the problem with ignoring them. We are missing the depths and the beauty that those contradictions have to show to us because God put them there for a reason. God's word is deep. My problem 20 years ago, I was treating it like it was shallow. Now, I thought it was deep, but I treated it like it was shallow because I would ignore the contradiction. So you could be too convinced or you could be too unconvinced. You can look at the contradiction and say, you know what, that's a huge stumbling block for me. I'm going to walk away. Even though Genesis 1:26, the Magna Carta of humanity, even though we hold these truths to be self that all people are created equal, even though it changed the world, even though that is like... The supreme thing, even though that solves so many problems and we actually applied that, we'll still take the Bible and say, ah, forget it. There's problems. It's dangerous. There's contradictions. There's errors. There's stumbling blocks. It's anti-science. Whatever it might be, whatever it might be. We've got to figure a way how to take the beauty and the life-changing power of God's word and understand it and see it clearly so it pops into our life. So here's my question to begin with today. Here is the big question, everybody. One question I want you to think about. What if we read the Bible the way it was written? What if we read the Bible the way it was written? Now, I have three things, three things that I want to share with you. And again, as I said a moment ago, these are all broadly, it's like, well, tell me something new, John. It's a no-brainer. Broadly accepted. Number one, Genesis is written in Hebrew. It's written in Hebrew. Why does that matter? Nobody's arguing that it's written in Hebrew. But we're not thinking about maybe, maybe we're not thinking about. What a big deal that is. It's written in Hebrew, which means it is written in red from right to left. From right to left. And when you read and you write from right to left, it triggers the right side of your brain, which is the side that seeks wisdom. Understanding, meaning, purpose, wholeness. We in our culture, we are very much a left to right. You'd be very odd. I have some books written in Hebrew, and it's odd because you get to turn the book all upside down and you go the wrong way and this kind of stuff. That's not natural at all. But what's natural to us is to go from left to right. Well, left to right is very scientific, it's very analytical, it's very mechanical, it's very linear. That's what the left side of the brain does. And when you read from left to right, it triggers that left side of the brain. So we are natural science seekers. That's what our culture is about. Now, some of you are from cultures that are wisdom seekers. You've got a head start on us. That's awesome. Put something in the chat there. I. Tell us a little bit about that. We want to we hear from you because, again, you have a head start, so that'd be awesome. Now, for science seekers, which most of us are, I have irritated you as I have been irritating because I did not resolve the Judas issue. We're going to resolve it. I just want you to know I'm not going to resolve it right now because questions and discussion is the biblical way to inspiration. We're going to have a Facebook Live event. You see the information there on the screen. Come and ask your questions. Put some of your questions right now in the chat just to kind of get the ground going there. Let's stir the pot a little bit. Put your questions in there, what you have. And in this Facebook Live event, we're going to talk about this and we're going to move towards resolution. But right now, I want you to experience a little bit of that irritation that just kind of God used to move me in the right direction. So please, please. Join us for the Facebook live. Throw some questions right now in the chat and we are going to become wisdom seekers. Here's what Jonathan Sachs says. In speaking of science and wisdom and religion and right and left, he says this. Science takes things apart to see how they work. That's the left side of your brain. Religion puts things together to see what they mean. Now, Dr. King also weighed in on this, and this is what he said. Religion and science are two hemispheres of human thought. Now, science can build a rocket, but it can't tell you what to do with that rocket. You need wisdom to do that. Science doesn't do that. Science can build a rocket, but it doesn't tell you what to do with that rocket. It's very, very different. We have gone past our ancestors' wildest imaginations. I mentioned I went out to Montana recently. I got on a a jet plane, a temperature-controlled jet plane, and I flew across the country. 300 years ago, that would have been something that would have taken me many, many arduous months to do. And I got on a temperature-controlled plane and did it. So we have just, whoo, scientifically. It's incredible. But have we gone that same trajectory when it comes to meaning, purpose, identity, all of these important issues? No, we are struggling in those areas. That is what the right-hand side of the brain, that's what wisdom does. There are two different things, and we and our culture come so natural to us to seek science. We are natural science seekers. That's number one. Genesis is written in Hebrew, and that tells us something right from the get-go. Here's the second most important thing. The literature of Athens is very different from the literature of Jerusalem. Athens very much shaped by Aristotle. Aristotle wanted to get things fixed, immovable, unchanging. The universe is eternal. Out of that, and we'll talk about this in future weeks, is a very firm, fixed set of beliefs. Aristotle wanted to eliminate metaphor. Jerusalem is about constant movement. Jesus says, I will build my church. What's a church? It's the called out ones. What is Jesus's, some of his most famous words, two words, follow me. We are followers of the way, it says in the book of Acts. So you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you, if you're following the biblical way, then you are in a constant movement. You're constantly growing. You don't come to a stop. You're not fixed. You're not set, but you're in constant movement. Children of Israel, they're out in the desert. God gives the law this great presentation that has even shaped our legal system to this day. The very things that we find about equality and dignity shaped, the law is given when they're out in the wilderness and they have a tabernacle where God is on the move and they're following God. So there's a difference between the fixed, fixedness. is that a word, fixedness? I don't know if that's a word. Ben, you think that's a word? (laughs) Fixed. You're fixed, right? And Jerusalem, that is on the move. So it's two totally different things. Now, I said this a second ago. Aristotle wanted to eliminate metaphor. Jerusalem and Jesus is all about metaphor. Now, people say to me a lot, "Well, John, are you, are you saying it's just metaphor? And it's the word just metaphor, as if metaphor means that something isn't real. Now, maybe in our world, which I, I I would argue, maybe in our world, we have a low view of metaphor, but here's the thing, the literature of Athens, the literature of Jerusalem, and the literature of Jerusalem, metaphor was even more true. It was a deeper meaning and reality. You can't get rid of metaphor in the Bible because right from the opening pages, In the beginning, God said, verse number three, Genesis chapter one, God said, well, God is spirit. Jesus told us that. And we worship God in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. If you're a science seeker and the Bible says, and God said, you say, well, does God have vocal cords? What are those vocal cords like? It's a metaphor. God speaks. God breathes. God breathes into Adam, the breath of life. Science seeking says, well, tell me about God's lungs. God's lungs. So, God has hands, he has lungs, he has vocal cords, he has feet, he has arms. Is God's arm too short for you? He's a husband, he's a king. All of these great metaphors, and it doesn't stop when you get to Jesus. Jesus makes seven famous I am statements in the Gospel of John. Let me give you just a couple of them. Jesus says, I am the door. Well, science wants to know, is that wood or fiberglass? Kind of door are you? If you're seeking science, obviously it's a metaphor that Jesus, because that's Jerusalem, not Athens. Jesus says, "I am the light of the world." Is that fluorescent or incandescent? I am the good shepherd. I thought Jesus was a carpenter. These are metaphors. It's not just metaphor. It's not like a low view of it. Jerusalem has a very high view of metaphor. So, in other words. For us to experience all the power and the inspiration of God's word, we have to embrace the fact that Jesus in Jerusalem is deeply, deeply enriched by metaphor. So the third thing that is so important, that is just overwhelmingly true, broad agreement, is that science is constantly changing. New information, we make a change. New information, we make a change. Science is constantly changing, and there's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of changes, but the wisdom of God never changes. The wisdom of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aristotle, he believed the universe was eternal and the earth did not move. That is what he believed. I uh, open up my app on my iPhone, the weather app there, and it said sunrise, and then a little bit later, it said sunset. That is an anti-scientific statement. The sun does not rise, the sun does not set, right? The earth moves, it rotates, it orbits the sun. That's what happens. Now, I wanna read you some verses in the Bible. How should we take these verses in the Bible? First Chronicles 16.30, the world is firmly established It cannot be moved. Psalm 93. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Do you believe God's word? When you read it, do you believe God's word? If you believe God's word and you're a science seeker, then you have a big problem. And here's the interesting thing. I'll have discussions with people about 24 hour days and Genesis and floods and all kinds of different things. And they'll say, no, 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 it can't be a metaphor. But I can't find anybody who says, I believe the earth doesn't move. I believe the earth is fixed. Everybody is given into this. Everybody is like, nah. Okay, so how do you interpret if you believe in the literal word of God? How do you interpret that? If you're a science seeker, then you say it doesn't move. And so in 1632, Galileo came along and he challenged the science. And those who were of Aristotle, those who were not Bible believers, came along and said, "No, that's not." They fought him on that. And then the Roman Catholic Church came in, and some people in the Roman and a big hubbub has been making about of this. Galileo was a Bible believer. Galileo, he went in house arrest in some big castle somewhere, so it really wasn't that bad, okay? And he caused some of the problems himself, but Galileo, along with many of the great leaders in the scientific revolution. Almost 100% of them were Bible believers. Galileo comes on, challenges that science. And now today we all say, yeah, but the Bible says. So if you're like, oh man, Genesis and, okay, but I don't know any Bible believers today. Maybe you're out there, but I don't know any that are saying, no, the earth is fixed. It does not move. Here's my thing. The Bible literally means what the Bible literally means. I have a watch on. It's always, well, almost always on my left wrist, okay? But I noticed one day, it's on almost 24 hours a day. I noticed one day, the brief time that I took it off to charge it, that had like a ring around my left wrist. It was white and it was indented. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start putting it on my right wrist, and you know what happened? I started banging into everything. I couldn't even put my backpack on because it kept getting stuck. I'm so used to it being on my left. It felt so unnatural being on my right. And here's the thing. We are natural science seekers. When we read the Bible, we're looking for science because that is our culture. We are a left brain culture. We have been heavily influenced by Athens and Aristotelian thinking. That's just natural to us. That's who we are. What is unnatural to us is Jerusalem and Jesus in the literature of the Bible because it's right brain. It's seeking meaning. It's seeking wisdom. That's why I began this message with Proverbs. Wisdom is supreme. It's the principal thing. Go get it. Nothing can be compared to it. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. And so it's pushing us like an irritant. I need you to seek wisdom. And if we are wisdom seekers instead of science seekers, all of a sudden the power of God's word begins to make sense to us. Now, Genesis chapter 1 through 11, which we are in the next few weeks going to be studying. And listen, fantastic. If you read it as a science seeker it's going to seem so distant you're going to be asking yourself what does this make difference in my life today is it relevant but if you read it as a wisdom seeker you're going to see oh my gosh it's speaking to the very things that I'm going through in my life it talks about how god gets us out of messes that we find ourselves constantly in you're going to see the wisdom applies to us in our relationships in our identity and meaning and purpose and our sexuality it is going to be Popping off the page at us, but we're gonna have to do something that's unnatural in our culture, and that is we're gonna have to be wisdom seekers, not science seekers. I wanna end with a story. Why would you wanna do this? Why would you wanna do something that's unnatural to you? I wanna talk about the Great Reformation. Martin Luther and the Great Reformation. There's some things that happened during the Great Reformation. First of all, during that same time frame, the printing press came into play. And now the Bible was so much more accessible to other people. And during the Reformation, it wasn't just the priests who were reading the Bible and telling us what to think and do. Every, Not everybody, but a lot of people had the Bible, and they began to read the Bible, and they began to read the book of Genesis. And they're like, what is this book of Genesis? And what language was it written in? And what does it really mean? And then all of a sudden, you had something incredible take place. The Hebrew language, which pretty much had died out It was a resurrection. This had never happened in the history of the world. We had a language that people stopped speaking, that it was resurrected and people began to study it. And one great theologian by the name of John Calvin got his own tutor, a Hebraist, who began to teach him about Hebrew and began to teach him to read the Bible the way it was written. And a bunch of other people began to do the same thing. And here's here's the great thing. You ready for this? Our modern political thought, the great ideals, sprung out of that. And here's what, and I'm not being mean, I just want to be clear. Those didn't spring out of secular humanists in the Enlightenment. They sprang out of people digging into the Bible reading it the way it was written. So when we say we hold these truths to be self-evident, right that all people create that came out of the Bible. When we look at our Liberty Bell, and it says, proclaim liberty throughout the land for all people, that came out of the Bible. This great religious tolerance, this ideal of religious toleration of other people, and the bumper stickers that says coexist, and we think, oh, some secular humanist thought that up, that came straight out of the Bible the abolitionist movement, the civil rights movement, and so many other wonderful things that we desperately need in our lives and in the world, that came straight out of the Bible. And it came because people began to read the Bible the way it was written. What would happen in your life? What would happen in my life? What would happen in our world if we say, you know, we want to press into that again? We want to get the power and the inspiration of God's word. We want to read it the way it was written. That's what I want to encourage you to do all this week. Get Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and begin to seek the wisdom that you find in those chapters and see what you come up with. Isaiah 40 verse 8, and I'll end with this. says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. The wisdom you will see about human nature in the opening 11 chapters of the Bible has not changed one inch. Science is constantly changing. If you're seeking science, you're going to have to be constantly changing. But if you're seeking wisdom, you will see the wisdom of God's word there is magnificent. So please join us. Come back next week, seek wisdom, and do this too. Bring somebody along with you because that's what spiritual growth is about. It's about questions. It's about discussion. We want to create a culture of asking and discussing, of bringing great questions to bear. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing word. Help us, Lord, to do something that feels really unnatural, to seek wisdom instead of science and to find your unchanging, life-altering, powerful word of truth for each one of us to live inspired lives in Christ's name. Amen.